1: Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. It's good to see more faces on this first day of the week. Glad to be here with you to share in the Lord's Supper. And with this encouragement, this meditation, we're going to be having today on readiness. What is readiness? Readiness prepares us for fruitful anticipation. How? We'll see how. How do you get ready for something that you're anticipating? In these days, getting ready may mean washing your face, combing your hair, and just being ready from the waist up for your Zoom meeting. Uh, No special readiness except for what you hope to get from whatever you're logging into at the moment. And I think that has made us perhaps a little bit lazy in this day and age. It's easier to roll out of bed and get ready for a Zoom meeting than it is to get fully ready from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, like the meeting that we're having today, no? But readiness doesn't not just mean getting ready to be presentable, per se. Perhaps if you're getting ready to attend an event, it also speaks to the readiness of the mind. We sometimes are not always ready to hear or to witness certain things. They kind of catch us off guard a little bit. And that's because our mind might only be able to handle a certain amount of input at the time. We can only process a certain amount of things at a time, hence the need for readiness. Let's look at this passage today, Ephesians 6, 4 through 14 through 15. It says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In the past, we've taken a look at different parts of the armor of God. Charlie even gave us a series on this. And me, I could relate to all the parts of the armor. I know what an armor looks like. My aunt had this armor, uh, actually a full size armor. I think it was real, too, because it was steel. And so since I was a little kid, I was always fascinated by the armor. So when Paul talks about the armor of God, probably referring to a Roman centurion armor at the time, I can relate to that except the part here when he says to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. He's not. He doesn't really mention shoes, does he? He doesn't say uh, shoes like he mentions all the other parts, but when he gets to the feet, he doesn't necessarily say shoes. So what does he mean there? Uh, he says, let's have our feet fitted with something. And when you think about that, our feet are an important part of us. And when we go out somewhere, when we're going to do some type of work, we try to, fit our feet to meet the readiness of whatever situation we're in. I've tried to do yard work in flip-flops. That doesn't work out that well. (laughs) I lose my balance, the flip-flops kind of shift, and I may even end up falling or hurting myself like it happened to me one day. So I don't recommend you doing yard work with flip-flops on. I like to use my boots now. My boots help me be ready for that type of work. I'm not gonna slip. I'm not going to fall or less likely to fall. And if something falls on my feet, my feet will be protected. And don't you feel like you can be invincible when you got some nice boots on? You know, those steel-toed boots. You can go anywhere, right? (laughs) So that means you're ready. And that's what he's talking about here in Ephesians. We need to have our feet fitted with readiness. That's the part that our feet uh, actually play, the role that our feet play in this and where does that readiness comes from? How are we ready for anything? Ready to take a step forward or take a step in one direction. It says here, it is the gospel of peace that helps us get ready for any event that you're gonna face in your lifetime, ending with the most significant event of all, the one that we're really all waiting for, which is Jesus return, anything else, is nothing. Any other event that you may have in your life cannot compare with the ultimate event that we're all really getting ready for. And we don't know how much time we will have to be ready for that, as we're going to see in some of the passages. You see, when we have our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel, we don't wait unfruitfully. We don't wait like someone twiddling their thumbs, waiting at the DMV Uh, place or waiting in the office for your doctor to see you. Uh, When I go there, if I haven't gotten myself ready for that, if I know, gee, I'm going to visit the DMV, it's probably going to be a few hours. Let me take something to do so that I don't waste my time. So it's not unfruitful waiting. And so I get ready for that. But if I'm not ready for that and I'm just sitting there. What's gonna happen to my mental and my emotional state if I'm not ready to wait? I'm gonna get upset, I'm gonna get angry, I might get short with some people. I might even try to get competitive. No, I'm ahead of you. (laughs) And try to cut in line or something like that, right? So let's talk about how readiness makes us wait in fruitful Mm -hmm. anticipation because that's what we get from some of these passages that I'm going to share with you today. We wait as Christians in fruitful anticipation. This earth really has become for us the waiting room for an important event. We are not at the DMV's office, thank God, not in a doctor's office, but God has made this whole earth a waiting room for something, for the most important event. That's going to eclipse all of mankind, and that is his return. And a lot of the parables speak to that, that what we're doing here now is really just waiting. But we don't wait as someone who twiddles their thumbs again or just wait doing nothing. God expects us to wait in fruitful anticipation, even in the bleakest and most oppressive environment that you may be here on earth. God's saints eagerly await in anticipation upon the return of Jesus here in Titus 2 11-13 it reads for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people that's what Robert was talking about how did the grace of God appear in the form of the Messiah in the humility of the Messiah that's how the grace of God appeared and that grace notice it makes us ready, how? Well, it says here, teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait, (laughs) while we wait. See, this is also in the context of waiting. All these things are relative to the context of us waiting for the blessed hope which is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How does this gospel of peace help us get ready for that blessed hope? How does it help us wait in fruitful anticipation? Well, it says here that it teaches us not to get caught up in the passions of the moment. Think about it. If you're waiting at the DMV office and you're not ready for that long wait, Your passions are going to get caught up with you (laughs) and it's not going to be a fruitful waiting. You're going to leave that office not happy, but frustrated. (laughs) But God's grace through the gospel, his readiness. When we fit our feet with the readiness of the gospel, we have the spiritual strength now to say no to those ungodly passions that may try to rule you. It helps us put our mind on the spirit and not on the flesh like Kevin taught us a few Sundays ago. The second thing that it does is that it teaches us God's grace, the gospel, the readiness teaches us to have a purpose that outlives us. So we're no longer just focusing on our temporary stay here. We're focusing on what's coming ahead. And that's why we can be calm about the waiting, okay? God's grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, Godly life. So instead of having our minds stuck on the temporary oh hurry, hurry, we got to get out of here. You know, some people at the DMV office, they want to get out of there. Why? What are you going to do once you get out of there? What's on your agenda? That's so important. They don't have context. That's why they can't wait patiently or fruitfully. But God's saints have context. We know time is irrelevant. We know that what God wants to see in our lives is fruitfulness while we wait. And so it gives us that context, that purpose, that my life is not just about the here and now. I'm waiting for something better that's going to be coming. And the third thing that this gospel of readiness teaches us, as we saw in the verse here, is that we wait in eager anticipation. The verse says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, we're waiting in eager anticipation. Our life here uh, is the result of the hope that's coming. If our lives are lived righteously, uh, controlled, saying no to ungodliness, it's because we're reflecting that great hope that we're anticipating. Life 3.0, right? That's what we have our mind set on. Jesus return And the great cliffhanger of all this, the central focal point, of why we can have this eager anticipation is the empty tomb. God gave us the best cliffhanger of all, an empty tomb that reminds us of what's coming. That reminds us that it doesn't end here, that there's another part and we're eagerly awaiting for that. That's why we can wait with patience. So for the rest of today's meditation, I want to share with you what the effects of readiness should be in our lives. What are the effects of readiness? So I can identify three ways that readiness helps us. When we fit our feet with the readiness of the gospel, we're going to have three things happening in our lives. We're going to be watchful. That means that we're going to pay attention, not just to us, but to everything around us. We're going to pay attention. Number two, we're going to be motivated to work, actually. When we await in an eager anticipation, fruitful anticipation means I'm working. My moments aren't getting lost. I am being fruitful. And number three, it motivates me to encourage others to join me in this eager anticipation of what I wait for. So where do we find these things? Let's talk about the first one, be watchful. How does readiness help us be watchful? When well, we look at one of the parables of Jesus, not I guess a bit of a parable you could say, uh, and this is uh, about his return. He says, "Here, therefore, keep watch. You do not know the day that your Lord will come. But understand this: if the owner of the house had known at what time the night of the thief, at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into." so you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. So this whole passage is about what? About readiness. God is expecting us to wait in fruitful anticipation, not twiddling our thumbs here. We are waiting and we are watchful. We don't know when Jesus is coming. Some people have tried to establish a date for His appearance saying, well, He's gonna come in 10 years. So since it's a long time, let's kind of chill out for the moment and then we will try to get ready the year before or something like that. But the problem is that we don't know when He's gonna come. We can't even speculate. We can't give dates. Some have given dates have failed miserably. That's not the point of this parable. The emphasis of you see here is on being ready every given day. Because at any moment, Jesus can return. We keep watch. In this example here, why were they told to keep watch? There's a lot of examples, uh, a lot of metaphors in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament about the importance of keeping watch. Those who kept watch on the watchtower, the shepherds that kept watch on the fields at night. What are they watching for? They're watching for intrusion. They're watching for distraction because when we don't keep watch, things blindside us. And so our minds and our hearts can break away from this fruitful anticipation if we're not watchful. We're watchful as we guard our hearts, as we guard our minds on Christ Jesus, because we want to remain pure for him because of that eager anticipation of when he comes again. If we take a look at the parable of the 10 virgins in Matthew 25, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, or maybe I am. Um, it says here, I'm going, to read, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, so that you can see how this parable also is talking about the readiness. It's talking about being ready for Jesus' return. It says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time coming, emphasizing that it may be some time uh, until Jesus returns. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps, The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, it may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to the one who sells oil, buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buying the oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the other ones came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us, but he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. And it ends by saying, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. The same encouragement as we saw in the previous verses. Notice the wise were ready. Readiness helps us plan ahead. They all fell asleep at one point and that could mean death. You could probably be talking about death at at that part there. And it says, upon the return of the bridegroom, they all wake up. They all will be resurrected. It speaks to the resurrection of the of everybody, the, the evil and the good. All will be, res- will be resurrected one day. But what happened here, the foolish ones realized that they were not ready to meet the groom. They had not made themselves ready. So the whole lives that they spent here on the earth, They were twiddling their thumbs. They didn't accomplish much. Maybe they thought they had, but they did not get ready in the manner that is fruitful, in the manner that God wanted them to be ready. And so he says here, keep watch. Keep watch means make sure that you're ready because there's an event coming and you want to be ready for it. So the point is, you can only get yourself ready before you fall asleep, before you die. After that happens, there will be no opportunity to make yourself ready to work. This blessed hope we have, you know, causes a believer to strive to live a pure and blameless life, as we saw in the passage in Titus. And at the same time, we can see that expressed here in 1 John 3, 1, 2, and 3, where John says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And the reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now that we're children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. So we're motivated by a purity and that purity causes us to want to be fruitful as we wait. Notice the effect of that readiness. We know because we know that we will be like him because we will see him, we're his children. If that hope lives in you, you purify yourself. That should be the effect of that blessed hope. And to purify yourself means, I'm going to make sure I live upright, a self-controlled life. I say no to ungodliness because I want to wait in fruitful anticipation. That's what you do when you purify yourself. Readiness helps us see the love of God. Maybe we cannot comprehend it, but the Holy Spirit does help us grasp, as Paul says, how wide, how deep, The love of God is in Christ Jesus. It helps us want to achieve that. It helps us move towards that direction. That's what having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel means. I'm moving in the direction of being ready for Jesus. God's great love compels us to be pure, to to not do things the world, the way the world does them, but to do things for reasons that the world cannot understand because our hope is not here. Who hopes in what he has? Who hopes in what he can see? Uh, the Bible will say. But our we have true hope because the tomb is empty. We can't see Jesus because we will see him later. So if we're ready, our lives should look purer and purer, not more worldly and more worldly. We have this example here of the parable of the talents as to how this readiness helps us be fruitful and work, be motivated to work in a fruitful way. Matthew 25, 16 through 18, not reading the whole parable, the whole parable is verse 14 through 30, but I'm just gonna take a few sections for the sake of time here. In this section here we read, the man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So, you know, that the first two guys, they were ready. They were motivated to work at once. It says they got the money. Boom! They put it to work. They were ready. But, you know, think about this. If you're looking to save money to buy a house, you want to buy a big ticket item being a house or a car. When should you start to save? In a year? Maybe a year before you make the purchase? I mean, any, anybody with reason, anybody capable of reasoning will say, I'm going to start to save right now. The moment I can, I will start. Because you are eagerly anticipating something that makes you get ready now, not later. It makes you get ready right now. Only someone without readiness, someone perhaps lazy or ignorant, wouldn't see the point in starting to save now. And that's what happened to the guy that received one talent. What was wrong was not the fact that he received one talent. It was his attitude. He was not ready. He did not have hope. He did not have eager anticipation. Instead, what happened? We'll see what happened. Let's first take a look at the other guys. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. These were the ones that put their money to work at once. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And you know what this does? This says to me that readiness builds spiritual equity, putting it in financial terms, readiness builds spiritual equity you build credit in the world how you don't build credit by being fruitless in your waiting and by not having hope that's not how you build credit here in the world you build credit by paying your bills on time saving your money paying off your debts that's how other people see that you have built credit but in the spiritual world there's no credit we could never pay off what Jesus did for us but We can have spiritual equity as we put to work the talents that God has given us in eager anticipation of his return. As his master said, here, come now, look what I've prepared for you. You've been faithful with a few things. You showed me that you're worthy. Now I'm going to give you more. I don't know what more there is up in heaven, but there is something more. And it's going to be great. And we, um, we need to understand that uh, spiritual equity is shown in a similar fashion as credit. The eagerness to do good works, as Titus tells us, that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. That's the fruitful anticipation being spoken of here uh, that happens when your feet are fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So you put eagerness uh, together with experience and that leads to readiness. This did not happen to the other man. The man who received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting what you had not sown, gathering what you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So what did this man, This man reminds me of the people who wait at the DMV office who are frustrated, who can't wait to get out, who don't have a grin on their face, they're angry, they're upset, they're asking themselves, why am I here, why is nobody looking at me, why, (laughs) that's who this man reminds me, because these kind of people, what do they do, they accuse the DMV workers of being things that they probably are not, all because they don't have the patience, All because they do not have readiness. That's why I make it a point when I go to the DMV office to chat with the person and say, thank you. Thank you for uh, what you're doing for me today. Thank you for helping me accomplish what I'm here to accomplish. I could not do it without you. They look at me like maybe he belongs somewhere else. But some of them, a lot of them greet me with a smile and treat me better. And sometimes even get me out of there quicker than perhaps somebody else. All with a little bit of patience and with a little bit of perspective. I'm out of there quicker than the guy who wanted to get out of there quicker. This guy here, notice, he just had presumptions. He had fear. He had excuses. These are three signs of lack of readiness. Lack of readiness in your life will make you make excuses for why you didn't do or couldn't do something. It makes you presumptuous because when you presume you're looking to everybody else being at fault except for you that's where presumptions lead and you in your heart of hearts maybe even judging maybe judging god as this guy did he judged god as someone hard someone exacting and like this man if you're not ready you may be digging a hole in your heart and hiding your talents is it ignorance is it Fear is it prejudice? Only you will know the answer. But I'll tell you this, it won't make you ready for this life or for the one to come. It's not gonna make you ready. So that was being motivated to work. And this last one I'm gonna leave you with is, readiness helps us be motivated to encourage because it fills us with eagerness. Uh, We can properly encourage others as Paul uh, told the Thessalonians here. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed, he starts out saying, about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. But we believe Jesus died. He rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Uh, Our brother Frank, uh, in a conversation with him a few days ago, he says, I don't want to die yet, Pedro, because I want to see Jesus come. And I said to him, Well, bro, I don't want you to be uninformed, but if you die now, you're going to have a better view of when Jesus comes because you'll be coming with him, as this verse says right here. Those uh, who are, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, our left and our left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Brothers and sisters, these are words of encouragement. And these are the words that we need to encourage one another with. Yes, there are things that we can encourage ourselves with here in the limited time here in the here and now. But to keep our eyes where they need to be and to be full of the readiness that the gospel gives us. Our encouragement should be towards when the Lord returns. That is the blessed hope that will help us wait in fruitful anticipation. Because whoever doesn't have that hope will not be motivated to work, will not be motivated to encourage, and will not be watchful in their lives. Notice how the knowledge of our hope beyond the grave is the key to readiness because of the greatest cliffhanger that we have, the empty tomb. The story is not finished yet. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe in the resurrection, as the song says. We will rise as another song says. So we encourage one another by remembering what is coming. We eagerly anticipate, and that's why we eagerly do what we do now while we wait. All these things require context. We need to remember our purpose, and the resurrection of Christ is the context by how we understand this temporary flawed existence. And how we can even thrive, whatever our circumstances here may be, because we know that they are temporary. As Paul encouraged the Thessalonians, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, whether we are awake or asleep, that we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are doing. Jesus saved us. He died so that we can have hope in this life. Yes, there is something, some value that it brings to this life, Uh, but so much more, though, because it prepares us for the next one, because Paul will even say, if only for this life we have hope, then we of all people are most to be pitied. No, I mean, there is value, absolutely. It helps It helps me. This blessed hope helps me be ready for things in this life. Much better prepared than anyone else. And I think we all are test, uh, witnesses to that fact. But that's not why we do it. We do it because of the empty tomb. Jesus came to bring us life, as Robert reminded us a little bit ago. To die, to show us the humility, the love of God, the extent of of what he would do, of where he would go to make sure that our relationship would be reestablished with him. So whether we are in this tent, as Paul said in the previous verse, or whether we are in the glorious awakening, we will live with him. We live with him now through the Holy Spirit. He did not leave us orphans, but he gave us another counselor to live with us. And he lives with me. He lives in you. And so we are not left alone here, struggling on our own. No matter what our situation is, we are encouraged because we have hope beyond this life, and this hope does not disappoint, as Paul told the Romans. So we learn to be watchful. We learn to be rightly motivated to work. We learn to be rightly motivated to encourage, all because the grace of God has appeared, and we eagerly await a blessed hope. That gives us perspective. It helps us mature, grow. In order to mature and grow in life, you need perspective. The reason young people are immature is because they don't have perspective. But as they gain it, as they understand, that perspective gives you an edge to grow and to mature. Uh, Otherwise, you end up stunted in your emotional and spiritual growth. As Paul said here, if only for this life we have hope in Christ We of all people are most to be hidden. Without the resurrection having taken place, to be honest, Christianity would not be better than any other religion or philosophy, like I shared with you last time. What gives Muhammad an edge over Jesus or over over Siddhartha Gautama or Confucius? Which one really, I mean, they guys lived so long ago, certainly our values and our customs and things have changed, right? And they've changed for the better, right? Don't we live in a better world? Maybe? no, still got the same issues. <laughs> Some people say, "Oh, you have restored my faith in humanity. Oh please, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want you to have faith in humanity. Look at the news. What faith is there in humanity? How can they help you be ready? Only one can help you do that. And God has left us the most awesome cliffhanger ever. To make sure we don't get distracted by false hope or by the babble of men. The most awesome cliffhanger, the empty tomb. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for his return. And in order to get ready for that, we take that first step of obedience in this gospel of hope. And we become like him in his death by joining him through water baptism into his, his crucifixion into his uh, burial. And so when we are raised from that watery grave of baptism, we're raised with him to walk in newness of life. In newness now, new, because now we are eagerly anticipating his return. Now we're ready. We've fitted our feet with the gospel. But that fitting of the feet, that needs to happen every day. I mean, every day that you get up, you need to put on some shoes, unless you're doing everything on Zoom that day. and Maybe you won't, <laughs> but that's why, this quarantine has made us a little lazy, has made us a little less apt to be ready, hasn't it? But God wants us to be fitted with readiness always. Like Jesus says, you do not know when I will return. And so we wait eagerly for this blessed hope. To here. God bless you all. Have a good afternoon.
0: Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.